what he's done. You know, I had this amazing moment this week with my five-year-old son. We were in the car together. I was actually bringing him to pre-K here at church, and he's just in the back talking, and he, he says something really funny to me. He says, Dad, I sure miss Jesus. I'm like, you miss Jesus? What, why do you miss Jesus? And he said, because he died. And I had this incredible moment as a dad to explain to my five-year-old that we don't serve a distant or a dead God. We serve a God who is alive and is reigning now at the right hand of the Father. So we can, can we just give the Lord a hand, just a big ovation of praise for what he's done this morning. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here. I know Christian uh, already gave you guys a welcome, but I just want to take a moment and welcome you as well. Get a double welcome this morning. Uh, it's interesting. We're kind of a 74-year-old church, and the fact is there are people in the room this morning. This is not your first Easter with Pleasant City Church. This is like your 20th Easter or your 30th Easter. Maybe it's your 50th Easter here in the house this morning, I want to say to you, thank you for being here. Maybe you're here today and you're visiting with your parents or a grandparent. Maybe you've got parents that go to this church, grandparents that come here, and you're with them today. Thank you for being here. We're honored you're with us today. Maybe you're a friend of someone that goes here. Maybe someone invited you to church this morning, and we just want to say thank you for being here. Or maybe you're just here today because it's the thing to do, right? Like it's Easter Sunday. That's like the Super Bowl for churches, and you're thinking to yourself, I, this is where I'm supposed to be today, right? Like some of you, you watch the Super Bowl, and honestly, you don't watch a single football game throughout the whole season, but you get to the Super Bowl, and it's like, all right, I'm supposed to watch it. And maybe you're here today, and that's, that's, that's you. Maybe you're like, you know, I know that church is kind of a big deal on Easter, and so I know I probably should be there today. I want to say thank you for coming today and being a part of our church today, a part of our gathering experience here at Pleasant City Church. Thank you. You know, it's interesting today, uh, many families are going to do this. In fact, uh, yesterday we tried to do it with our extended family and it was kind of difficult because it was raining outside. But a lot of you today, the ground's drying up outside. You're going to go out today at the end of this time together after lunch when you're nice and fat and lazy and you're going to uh, go hide eggs, right? Like you're going to go put Easter eggs everywhere and you're going to send your kids out and they're going to go find those eggs. And I don't know if this is your story, but it's definitely my story that every time we do this, it never fails. If we hide 30 eggs, we're going to get 22 of them back. <laughs> and that's just life, right? Like, and what, what invariably happens is some of those eggs get found weird ways, right? Dad's out there cutting the grass. Clink, 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 right? Breaking up the lawnmower blades with the plastic Easter eggs, right? So if this, has, this, has this ever happened to you? Like one time we were hiding eggs and, uh, and one of our kids brings back an egg that's like super faded and super discolored. And you start to realize that was the egg from last year, right? I mean, it happens. And here's what the Lord just kind of hit me with yesterday. Uh, I was driving and the Lord just kind of hit me with something. 
Some of you this morning, you've come in for different reasons. But let's be honest, some of you this morning feel a little bit like last year's Easter egg. You feel abandoned. You feel neglected. You feel lost. And maybe it's been a tough year or maybe it's been a tough lifetime. But for whatever reason, you're coming in this morning and you feel like no one sees you. I want to tell you, Jesus sees you this morning. He knows right where you're at. And he has a plan for you. And the invitation this morning is this. Look no further than Jesus because he sees you. The question is, do you see him? And Jesus wants to change your life this morning. He wants to take your story from being the victim to walking in victory. And this is what we see in the life of Jesus. Someone who walked in victory, who was a victim, but became the victor for you and for me. And so I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 27. If you don't, we're going to have all the verses right here on the screen. But we want to pick up the story this morning where we left off last week. And it's right here. Jesus is on the cross, right? He's on the cross, and he's in the darkest hour of history. The ultimate moment of being the victim right here. And look in verse 45. It says, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That is, it's translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now this verse, we didn't talk about this last week, but this is pretty awesome when you think about it because what we're getting is a little peek into what's not just going on in the physical world, but what's also going on in the spiritual world. You see, here's the thing. Jesus was never worried about what some Roman soldiers were going to do to him. Right? There are many saints, many people who have died for the faith. And Jesus being one of them, he's not worried about as much about the nails and the pain and the anguish and the suffering and the suffocation and asphyxiation. That's not his concern. We're getting a glimpse into what's really going on behind the scenes. It's the wrath of God landing on Christ that brought the agony and the abandonment that he's feeling. Yes, the nails were, were very painful. Yes, the scourging was painful. Yes, the crown of thorns and the mocking and the beating and all of that was awful. But the thing that separates him apart from any other martyr in history is that the wrath of God, our wrath, the wrath deserved to us is landing right on him. And he tells us that because relationally, God's forsaken him in this moment. And then it says in verse 50, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. There's something really powerful here too. That God, that Jesus wasn't killed by some Roman soldiers. 
that God freely gave up his spirit. The nails didn't kill him. Essentially, the asphyxiation didn't kill him. The suffocation didn't kill him. He gave up his spirit, a willing sacrifice for us. And then verse 51, and behold, this word you're going to see a lot this morning. Behold, look, see, right? A behold, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This curtain is enormous. It's like the size of Cleveland County uh, Hospital, like something that tall getting torn into separate, what used to separate us from the Holy of Holies, God's relational kingdom, what used to separate us is now open. It says, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many, like some of you have thought about this before. If you want to see a zombie apocalypse, that's probably the closest thing in history, right? I mean, think about it. Fred died a week ago, and now Fred's walking through the city. He's walking through the market. Some strange things are happening. And then verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, these were the people there at Jesus' crucifixion. When they saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but this verse has power. If you're a believer in here, maybe you're sitting in your belief in Christ and maybe you're thinking, you know, I believe in Christ. I have a relationship with Jesus, but my mom does not. Or my dad does not. Maybe you're thinking, you know, my mom will never, never be sober. Or maybe you're thinking, my dad will never turn to Jesus. Or maybe you have a wayward child and you're thinking, my child will never come back to God. Let me tell you, this gives hope that if the soldiers who took part in nailing Jesus to a cross, if they confessed him, anyone can choose to follow Jesus. And in this passage, you have the ultimate victim, right? Jesus is the ultimate victim. Look no further than him. But not only do you have the ultimate victim, you have the ultimate victory. We see that here. Jesus was the victim, but he didn't stay the victim. And in in chapter 28, we see how God uses this in our lives says in verse 1, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, I'm going to tell you, this really has nothing to do with a sermon, but I, can we just laugh at this moment for just a minute? And maybe you caught it, maybe you didn't. But imagine you're the other Mary, right? And you get to heaven, and it's just like somebody tells you in heaven, guess what? You made the Bible, Like you're in the Bible. For the next 2,000 plus years, they're going to read you about you in the Bible. And you're sitting there thinking, that's awesome. How did they distinguish us? Because there's like five Marys. And they're like, you're just the other Mary. (laughs) Not really great, is it? But here's what I want you to pick out here. And this is what we find very interesting in the resurrection story. Mary and the other Mary, both of them 
including everyone else. Not a single person woke up on this morning thinking Jesus is risen from the dead. They weren't going to the tomb to be like, all right, it's the third day. Time to go see if Jesus isn't there anymore. No, they're going expecting Jesus to still be dead in the tomb. And every other person in the story thought the same thing. Luke 24, 12 tells us this, that when Peter sees the tomb, Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And look at what it says. And he went home wondering what had happened. Didn't even cross his mind. John 20, 13, we find out more about the story of Mary. The angels talk to Mary, and after they see the tomb, the angels are asking Mary a question. They say, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And look at what it says. And I do not know where they have laid him. Not one person that day, not the women or the disciples, thought for a second that he had risen. Everyone in the story assumes someone stole the body. Someone took away the body. All of them were skeptical about Jesus' resurrection. And I love that the Gospels give us this. They are documenting their own disbelief. They're showing us, they're like, look, we didn't even believe at first. In fact, today, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're thinking, you know, Jonathan, I I came to church today. I know all about this Jesus character. You know, I know he's historical. So like we have history record of him. I know based on what we read, he was a good teacher. You know, I know that as a good Christian, we should emulate our lives after him, like like just mimic his lifestyle. But I'll, I'll be honest, Jonathan, like I just cannot get my mind around the resurrection. Guess what? You're in good company. Jesus' very best friends thought the same way you do. But this is what's about to happen. Something is about to change in them and in their disbelief. Look at verse 2. And behold, there's that word again. Behold, look, see, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven... And came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards that were guarding the tomb trembled and became like dead men. So it's kind of interesting. We used to have this drive-through experience at the church, and it was kind of interesting. Some of y'all probably remember it. Um, We kind of walked through the life of Christ. And I remember as a teenager, I was always in that scene, the crucifixion and tomb scene. And my buddy Stevie, Stevie was a 16-year-old at the time. Stevie was also in the scene. And Stevie played the Roman soldier, And I think about this now, I'm thinking everybody, every car that drove by is probably looking at 16-year-old Stevie thinking, yeah, right. Like, yeah, that's, that's what I think of when I think of a soldier fainting, right? Like, oh, the glory of God, and then he faints, right? But here's the cool thing about Stevie. Stevie was a 16-year-old punk teenager like me, but guess what? Stevie goes and protects and defends our country. He actually gets shipped off to Afghanistan 
and serves towards there to defend and protect liberty and our country. And, and I, I think about that all the time. I think, man, that's so awesome he did that. But here's the picture I want you to think about. When you read these verses, I think we get it in our heads, the idea of the guy, you know, in the, in the ill-fitting costume, just standing there, oh, goodness, you know. No, that's not the picture we get. We don't get 16-year-old Stevie. We get Stevie post-Afghanistan. And the point of this is that even men of power melt in the presence of Almighty God. This is not just some simple naturalistic thing happen. It's not just, oh, an earthquake, I think I'll fake. No, this is the power of God showing up. Verse 5, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen as he said he would. Come, see the place where he lay. Now, I love this part. And we see this in the scripture. Jesus didn't move the stone. And here's the reason why. He didn't need to. Right? It's not like Jesus is in the tomb alive, sitting behind the, the, the little door there waiting for the, or waiting for the angels to move the stone. It's not like you guys need some help. No, he's not sitting there waiting. If Jesus can split rocks on crucifixion day, he can walk through them on resurrection day. The angel is not there to move the stone to let Jesus out of the tomb. The angel is there to move the stone to let you into the tomb to see what God had already done. And here's the power of Easter. The tomb is open. Look no further. He's risen. You see, Easter is about seeing. It's about seeing who God clearly is. And it's also about seeing clearly who you are. You see, here's the thing about Easter. In the midst of all of this celebration, in the midst of all of this good news, there's some bad news as well. And here's the bad news. The bad news is that we are hopelessly lost without Christ. Hopelessly lost lost without Christ. We are, last year's Easter eggs, sitting out in the field, in the yard, lost. And in a room this size, this is where you find yourself. In the bad news. In the place where you are hopelessly lost. And the problem is that each of us has this sin problem in our lives, this sin that makes us blind to God, that we are rebelled against the authority of God and we are blind to the beauty of God. And the problem with our sin is it's not just some outward thing that comes and attacks us. No, that sin, that in the middle of sin is I. The middle of sin is I. That the DNA of our sin is us. It's our selfishness. It's our will. It's my will over his will. It's what I want to do with my life over what God wants for my life. That my selfishness creates a blindness in me. So I can stand before a holy God and see nothing. The reason for this blindness is not that you're a helpless pawn of Satan... No, it's that you've joined Satan in hating the light 
And guys, I know that's a harsh statement. But man, that's what's true. We're not just some helpless pawn that Satan just moves around. No, it's saying that we're, we've joined Satan. We've joined him in hating the light. It's funny, John 3, 16 is the most recognized passage in all of our culture. We see it at sporting events. We see it at games. We see it at all kinds of different places. You probably know the verse or at least have heard of the verse. But look at what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is great news. But what does it say after that? Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. You see, we are not merely victims of darkness. John 3.19 tells us that we are actually lovers of darkness. That just because God loves you, doesn't mean he agrees with you. Just because God loves you, doesn't mean he agrees with your lifestyle. Just because God does, loves you, doesn't mean he agrees with the sin patterns in your life. God doesn't love you because he sees eye to eye with you on everything. He loves and values you because he created you in his image. And he wants what he did for you to win you over to his way of life so that you can be all that God created you to be a son or a daughter of him. But if we let it, if we let it, our sin and our shame will keep us thinking that if I can just modify some things on the outside, if I can just fix some things on the outside, get some, get some good appearance things going, if I can just modify the outside, the inside will change. And we think, if I can just modify the outside, I'll feel better about what's going on on the inside. And it doesn't work. In fact, Satan uses our sin to defeat us. He uses it against us. We saw that in the video. The enemy whispers to us, look at what you've done. Look at what you've done. Look at what you've done. And the truth is, he's right. We've all done some really bad things. We've all made some really poor choices. We've all had sin in our lives. We've all had regret in our lives. We've all had shame in our lives. The enemy's absolutely right. We've done that stuff. And we're not, not just victims of darkness. We are lovers of darkness. That's the bad news. But there is good news. Don't just look at what you've done. Look at what he's done. The angel announces Jesus' resurrection. And just look here in this passage how many times you see a word that refers to sight. This is amazing. Go quickly 
The angel says to the Marys, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, look, see, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to to tell his disciples. And behold, look, see, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. The Easter story is about seeing. It's about seeing clearly who we are. And it's about seeing clearly who God is, who Jesus is. That the gospel is not just good advice to battle everyday life. The gospel is the good news to declare that the battle has already been won on our behalf. This is so much bigger than just a celebration. This is like our life. It's all been won on our behalf that we would look no further than the risen Jesus. Imagine for me for just a minute, what if my five-year-old was correct? What if my five-year-old was correct? What if we all gathered here today to celebrate a dead Savior? Someone who lived a perfect life and then someone who died on the cross, even for us. Imagine for just a minute if Jesus is dead, if the tomb still holds his body or the remains of what's there. Imagine how hopeless and how pitiable our lives would be, our existence would be. The resurrection changes everything for us. And the fact of the matter is, Satan would like nothing more than to regulate this moment into one little Sunday a year. In fact, I'll just tell you, I think, and this is just an opinion, I think Satan's actually okay with us gathering, with us singing songs about the resurrection, with us hearing a a couple passages about Easter, as long as it stays regulated and contained into this one Sunday a year where we talk about it and we celebrate it and we live like it actually happened. But the reality of Easter is bigger than that. It doesn't just change one Sunday a year. It changes all of our Sundays. It doesn't change just all of our Sundays. It changes every single day we live. Jesus is risen. He's alive. And because he walked out of his grave, you can walk out of your grave. And for some of you today, I'm just going to tell you, I know this is a big crowd. You came in this morning and you feel lost. You feel abandoned. And the truth is, you're living a living death. You see, the power of the resurrection is not just to get us out of our grave when we die and one day rise again. No, the power of the resurrection is to get us out of our spiritual grave that we're in right now. And in a room this size, that is some of you. You are spiritually dead. 
And Jesus is saying, come and follow me. Follow what I did. Walk out of your grave. In the midst of those days, Jesus died on a cross for your sin and shame. He actually physically rose again on the third day. And then he stayed around for 40 more days. And all these people saw him. And in the midst of those 40 days, Jesus assembles his disciples, the 11 that are there, as well as many scholars believe there were many more there in this moment. And Jesus assembles them together in verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. And then it says this, you can see it there. But some doubted. Isn't that interesting? Like, I don't know about you, but this kind of confirms the validity that this story's real. Because here's the thing. If I was Matthew and I was writing a make-believe story about Jesus rising from the dead, you know what I would put there? I would put, Matthew always stayed true. Right? Like, you're not going to write that. This kind of proves the story's true. That you write it in the way where it says, hey, some doubted. And I think about that and I think, man, how do you doubt that? How do you doubt what you can plainly see? And I believe it's the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. I know almost everyone in this room probably knows some things about Jesus. Even if you don't go to church, you probably know some things about Jesus. But the question is, do you know Jesus? Have you experienced him on a personal, relational plane? We were in Nepal this last year, and we had an incredible time, and we had this one little low spot, and it was kind of a stupid low spot, but I decided to take our team to the Mountain Museum. And it's located right at the base of the Himalayan mountains. And you're thinking to yourself, man, that sounds awesome. A museum right at the base of the Himalayan mountains. I bet that museum is amazing. It's not. You walk in and you, all you see is pictures of mountains and little captions. This is Mount Everest. Oh, and here's another picture of Mount Everest. And over here, this is another picture of Mount Everest. And here's what you can do. Instead of going to the Mountain Museum in Nepal, just Google mountains of the Himalayas on your phone and you'll have the exact same experience, minus the mothball smell. <laughs> so it was a disappointment for our team. We made, made a couple jokes about it. Later that week, we had to take a very short flight, like a 30-minute flight from one place to another in Nepal. And we jumped on this plane and we got up to our altitude and we are eye level with those very same mountains. Eye level. We see them. We're close to them. We not only hear about mountains and see a picture of a mountain, we are experiencing the Himalayan mountain range. And it was a different experience. And here's what I want to just challenge you with today with this. Some of you are here today and you're going to catch a little snapshot of Jesus, a little picture of Jesus. You might have a little, a little caption or a little footnote that you didn't know about Jesus. Okay, I learned something new about Jesus today. That's really cool. 
And what Jesus is saying to you is, no, I want to take you up. I want you to not only know about me, I want you to know me, to experience me, to have a relationship with me. And he did that for you through a bloodstained cross and an empty tomb. So if you, have, if you can, just bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. The free gift of God's grace and redemption is the most expensive gift you will ever receive. It doesn't cost you a thing. It costs Jesus everything. And today, I believe that he is inviting you to not be lost anymore. To not feel abandoned, to not feel neglected, to not be under the weight of your own sin and shame. Instead, to be found, to look no further than Jesus. He already sees you. The question is, do you see him? Decide today to be found. Decide today to follow him. And in a crowd this size, I know it's hard to move, but I want to invite you today. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if it's just a bunch of head knowledge and you're trying to just modify the outside to fix the inside, it's never going to happen. Today is the day that you can choose to follow Jesus, to put your trust and your faith in a risen, alive Savior and God. And we're going to have prayer partners here at the front. I want to invite you that if that's you today, to just step out in that aisle, move to the front, and today, pray with someone today to follow Jesus. So just do what God would have you do in this moment. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this moment. I pray, God, that in this time, Lord, we would be obedient, Lord. The tug of your grace and redemption and love is pulling on us. Lord, help us not to be silent. Help us not to deny that, but in boldness proclaim today, God, we want to follow you. Lord, if there's someone here today, I know there's many here today, that is their story. I pray today they would respond and put their faith and trust in you, Jesus. God, we thank you in Jesus' name.